the Spot Track Podcast, talking sports contracts, the salary cap, and business of sports. Today's edition of the Spot Track Podcast is presented by The Athletic for sports fans. The only place to go for breaking news, real-time commentary, and powerful stories is The Athletic. Start at theathletic.com slash spot track. Throw that into your web browser. Subscribe. Get 40% off your first-year subscription. Download the app. Personalize it. Exclusive ad-free content every single day at your fingertips. That's theathletic.com slash spot track. My name is Mike Gennetti. Happy Thursday. Back end of the show, Cousin Dan is here with some baseball, some fun baseball. We did some... uh, kind of future forecasting on some MLB contract extension candidates. There's some juicy ones, a couple of pitchers that are maybes, a couple of players who have already said, I'm basically playing the season out and I'm going to hit free agency, Aaron Judge being the big one there, of course. But there's some uh, big-time names in big-time cities who have question marks. What the hell are the Boston Red Sox doing over the next couple of years uh, as they look to sort of moneyball themselves into contention? But uh, Cousin Dan has some great info. He did some great work on a kind of finding and, and locating some names from really every team that we discussed at the back end of the show. I'm going to start here with some available NFL free agents because speaking of juicy names, there's some decent ones here still. It's April 21st, the time of this recording. We're a week away from the draft. So that's the problem for a lot of these teams. Um, I do think that there's some positions that this draft is just loaded in. And I'll tell you right off the bat here, as I go through some of these names, offensive tackle appears to be one of those positions where I'm not going to overpay for a 30-plus-year-old 30, 30 even starting left tackle because there's four or five in the first round that we think we can get our hands on if we're any team right now in need. And Seattle's in need, and Cleveland, and a couple of these teams that, are, that have let their players walk away. You know, Indy let Eric Fisher walk away. He's still unsigned. Dwayne Brown from Seattle, still unsigned. It's a, it's a pretty potent list out there, and that's, that's kind of not the norm, right? Generally speaking, we are not seeing legitimate starting left tackles sitting here um, over a month away from, from free agency start. So that's a bit of an, uh, of an anomaly, and it has to do with the fact that it's a good, strong draft. So those guys are sitting out there. They're certainly going to latch on, whether teams miss in this upcoming first two rounds or they flat out just say we need the depth you know Riley Ripe's another name on this list kind of down down a little bit further there's some decent swing guys Trey Turner Eric Flowers Darrell Williams sitting out there so some, to have some kind of experienced offensive lineman kind of sitting out there is weird but I get it I get it and, and uh that's sort of how we're operating here it's there's a lot more value in going to the draft I know oh, by the way some of this has to do with the fact that these offensive line contracts have exploded, right? I mean, you've got $20 million tackles. We've got what's soon to be 16 to $18 million guards. The center market has pushed up to 13, 14 million. So, uh, you know, 30 plus is 30 plus. And if you can go back to the draft and, and get that at four years, 10 million, which some of these teams are going to choose to do, that's certainly better value. So I, I'd say the same thing about non-superstar edge rushers. Right, Javian Clowney's sitting out there. Jerry Hughes is sitting out there. Melvin Ingram, who had a ridiculously good value year with Pittsburgh slash Kansas City last year, sitting out there. You could even talk yourself into uh, Jason Pierre-Paul. Dominican Sue is a defensive lineman who's sitting out there. Akeem Hicks, much the same. These are good names, and you know the situation. We we see this every single off season. These guys have a price tag. The agents pushing for X dollars, or there's just simply 
a lack of desire to to be connected to a roster right now. They don't want to have to go through workouts. There's a lot. There's some of that happening here for sure. I I put Gronkowski in that situation. You know, he's probably going to attach himself to Tampa Bay at the very last second, probably on a similar one for eight million dollar contract, or simply walk away. He just doesn't want to have to go through the minutia. He's probably having a good time right now. <laughs> he's got some endorsement deals that and some vacations planned and things like that. And I get it. That's he's sort of earned that right. And we've seen plenty of superstar players do that over the course of time. So uh, some of that is here, but for your Jerry Hughes and your Justin Houston's and your Melvin Ingram's, these pass rushers who are definitely past their prime, but still have a ton of production value out there. They're just looking for the right fit. And whether it's going back to the team, they just came from because many of these players and many of these available free agents are coming from contention teams. The Bills, the Ravens, the Bucks, the Chiefs, the Steelers, they're, they're, you know, all playoff teams. Cincinnati's got a couple of players sitting out there. Certainly Cleveland, who's done a lot of overhauling over the past couple of weeks. You know, Jarvis Landry, Odell Beckham Jr., Jadavian Clowney, J.C. Treader. The Browns are all over the list of available free agents right now. But uh, I think the one to note still is Tyron Matthew because it sounds not like now that Kansas City didn't even make him an offer. And that's... That's awkward. That's weird. Yeah, he's, he's going to be past his prime. He's not going to be shutting guys down at the rate that he did before, and he's not going to be maybe as versatile because he's 30 years old. But he's 30 years old. He's not 35. And maybe the problem is that he's looking for $16 million a year, and he's 30, and he has lost a step. Okay, that's, those are all realities. And some of the teams that maybe would be overpaying for him are sitting here looking at guys like Kyle Hamilton in the strap and saying they're there and, and we'd rather pay 20 over four versus, you know, 60 over four for, for what we might have to be getting out of Tyron Matthew. I can certainly understand that, but it's strange to me that one of these contenders and I get Kansas city, Kansas, clearly Kansas city is in a bit of a money ball situation this year. And rightfully so they, the past two years have been extreme high cash cap flow. So, you understand them taking one year to just kind of turn things over a little bit and prepare themselves for another three-year run. That's perfectly plausible. We see that in baseball quite a bit with the top teams. And now here we are seeing the Chiefs doing that. So, you know, but not even making Matthew an offer and kind of ruining that relationship because, yeah, Justin Reed is a pliable replacement, but not even giving yourself a chance to get him at a lower price because is that where we're headed? What if Tyron Matthew costs $10 million a year to, to go to a contender? versus ending up in Jacksonville at 16 a year. What if that is the going rate? You know, what if Baltimore, or, or I guess New Orleans to some degree, or even Tampa Bay, who still needs to replace him for the, a safety position, what if they fall into Tyron Matthew at three for 30 or two for 20, fully guaranteed? Is that the worst thing in the world? No, it's not. I mean, that's where we're headed towards here as we head towards the draft. I think it's a weird, it's a weird situation that Kansas City put themselves in. Is all I'm saying. Kind of bad business on their part, not to at least say, "Look, go out there, do your work, get yourself, get your 16, 17 a year," and uh, it's been a hell of a run. We appreciate everything you've done. Come back to us when it's 12. Why not at least give yourself that opportunity? Why not at least throw four for 48 out there to him, and say, "You know, we, you know the situation we're in. We're, we're trying to cut some costs here and there." Uh, Tyreek's out the door. You know, we're not going to restructure Patrick this year. We got to make sure we, we do good by ourselves for the next four years. So we're going to be pushing up against it a little bit here. But four for 48, you know, four, 40 of that fully guaranteed works for us if you can get yourself down to that contract. That, not even that was on the table. That's strange to me. One of these AFC teams, in my opinion, is going to get him. 
I think it's a Baltimore. I think it's a Pittsburgh uh, if that price drops into their range. But like I said, Tampa Bay, even Green Bay to some degree could come into this conversation and really, really upgrade and get themselves a player. So he's still the name on this list for me. A couple of aging edge rushers. I put Clowney sort of on the fringe of that list. And then there's some wide receivers to talk about. And we've talked about it quite a bit on this podcast over the past two weeks because they're everywhere. <laughs> they're everywhere. And I, I kind of prefaced what was coming this week with the Debo Samuel conversation last show. I didn't realize it was going to get to a trade demand, even though we don't know if it's an actual trade demand. I've had some kind of behind the scenes conversation with his agent, but not to this degree. Y- you knew there was going to be a bit of a rat's nest happening here with the AJ Brown situation and now the Debo situation. We haven't even talked DK Metcalf. It seems like that is just kind of slotted in where it's going to head. I, I think DK may be okay with either give me the top dollar or I'll walk. And if it's a franchise tag, I'll take the franchise tag. I, I agree with that analysis. I don't think you should be locking yourself into not the perfect contract in that Seattle organization right now. It's, there's just too many question marks in the organization. And oh, by the way, I have a feeling that's what's happening in San Francisco. Has anybody looked at this roster in San Francisco? I, it, it's discombobulated. In my opinion, it's discombobulated. And they are not landing top free agents right now. They are not the source of, you know, what's next? What, what do they need to get to that next level? In, in my opinion, they're going, they're turning downward. And a lot of that has to do with the quarterback position. So I, I think this could be more about Debo Samuel just saying, look, my offensive coordinator is gone. The guy who was, who made me this versatile wild card. Now you can say that maybe he doesn't want to do that all for the rest of his career. He doesn't want to be a quarter all Patterson. He doesn't want to be that kind of player. He'd rather be more of a Tyreek where it's 90% pass, pass game with some sprinkles in of some gimmicky plays. I get that, but I just think he's looking around at that, that team and saying, I, I need some greener grass here. The problem is, and I'll, I'll touch on this just lightly, it's really not his decision. He can, he can request it. He can demand it. There's really no holdout credence for him, unfortunately. I mean, the second it gets to training camp, if he decides to hold out, he's a restricted free agent. So San Francisco basically owns him right now on every angle and every degree. If they want to keep him, and I, I have to believe they do, they're going to have to resolve this with money. And I know everybody's saying this is not about the contract. If this was about money, it would have been done already. I've heard that too many times. I'm sorry. <laughs> okay. I, I only live in the money world. I only look at things through the goggles of what does the contract or what does the money have to do with it? And even if it's not about money now, money can fix this. It's fixed things many times. It's fixed things in San Francisco with Raheem Mostert, with a couple of other players. Every team has this happen. Jordan Poyer's about to heck at this in Buffalo, a team that, for all intents and purposes, is built pristinely from a contractual standpoint everywhere. And there's one little thing hanging over it right now, which is Jordan Poyer and maybe another cornerback, which they'll do by the draft, in my opinion. They'll tinker that roster and tickle that contract a little bit, and boom, it'll be it'll be fine. Jordan Poyer will be no no worse the wear, and back in his starting slot with the Buffalo Bills. It's going to take a little bit more with Debo Samuel, but once he understands that the options are extremely limited come July, extremely limited, and that he can demand a trade until he's blue in the face. But if this team does not want to move on, regardless of what kind of composition they might be getting back from him that it's either it's suck it up or really screw yourself for the next two years, truly. 
um, it's going to be, all right, I'll stay. We got to address this contract situation right now. I'm going to be a Tyreek Hill type player. I need to be paid like Tyreek Hill. That's where this is going to get to, in my opinion. Now, it's not going to be $30 million a year, but it's going to approach the 25 mark, and that's where he's always been. That's where DK is approaching and AJ's approaching and McLaurin to some degree in that same conversation. So there's a battle ahead of us here. There's no question about that. And regardless of what the actual reasoning is right now, and Debo's going to go out there and say it's, you know, all of us talking about this don't know what the hell we're talking about. That's fine. But I'm telling you right now, all the people saying this is not about money, it may not be about money now, but at some point in time, money is going to either fix this or force this out of the, out of the conversation. Just force him out the door. So ugly stuff, unfortunately, for San Francisco. The uh, post-Garoppolo era not going well so far. Uh, but wide receivers, we're going to talk a lot about them in the draft over the next week or so. That You're, you're going to hear a lot of high-profile names going to high-profile teams. I mean, Green Bay is going to load up. Arizona is going to get somebody. Buffalo is going to find somebody in the top three rounds. You're going to see some big-time teams take some big-time players in that regard. But Jarvis Landry, Odell Beckham Jr., Will Fuller. I mean, there's some solid names here still sitting here. Julio Jones, what's left of him? He's still available. There's uh, some real nice complimentary players on this list. Cole Beasley's still available. Emmanuel Sanders is still available. Keelan Cole, a halfway decent year with the Jets last year. There's a... there's some names to be plug and played in here. And again, this has to do with the draft at this point. At this point, teams are just saying, let's see where the chips fall. And we'll plug in a slot guy in Beasley where we need it. There's value to all these names I just mentioned. Now, Beckham's a little bit of a wild card because of the injury. And uh, I have a feeling, just a gut feeling, that it's going to be... He's, nobody's going to take that multi-year chance on him because they got to see him come back from this injury. But... At the end of the day, he'll drop his price. He'll return to the Rams. And because that's the right team for him to go back and rehab slash re-showcase his abilities. There's a comfort level. There's a success level. There's a ton of talent around him on that roster. So he'll have a role versus being the guy. And it's just the perfect way for him to get back into the situation and make a little coin on the side, put some playoff incentives in there and, and go from there. So that's my gut feeling on him. I don't believe him to be truly out there. But Jarvis Landry is the guy. He's not a top wide receiver. He's a, he's a plug and play guy. He's a numbers guy. But my goodness, uh, one of these teams who misses in, in the first couple of days here in the draft with, with at least their guy, and they don't feel like they've got a bona fide starter for 2022, Landry's going to be that guy. It's not going to be 20 a year. Nobody gets 20 a year at this point in time, unfortunately. It's just not how it works. You don't get a top of the market contract in mid-April after basically all the chips have fallen from free agency. So somebody's going to push that market, but I, I can't imagine it gets to that kind of price point. But it will be one of these teams that doesn't get the guy they're, they're thinking about over the next couple of days here in the draft. And, uh, you know, outside of that, there's a couple of safeties. There's a couple of inside linebackers. Your typical, your, your typical kind of rollover free agents that are maybe over overpriced or have some injury concerns, things like that. You know, Kyle Van Noy, Anthony Barr, Joe Schobert to some degree. Those are some available players out there who will find some homes. Last guy I want to focus on is Melvin Gordon, because I really thought that there was going to be a contending team who saw what Melvin Gordon has done in Denver over the past couple of years in a complimentary role, quite frankly, and really saw value in him. My guess is there's still a bit of a, a money problem. He, he's He's coming off an $8 million per year deal. He got 16 over two. 
he earned it. But 29 pushing 30 years old, the team, the good teams, the contending teams just aren't going to pay that kind of money for a running back, especially if it's a complimentary running back, right? Most of these teams have a guy right now and he would just simply be a 1A version of that running back. So does the price drop into the 4 to $5 million range for one year, maybe two years? That's what teams have to be looking for. But there's a lot of talent and production sitting there in Melvin Gordon. And I do think some of those teams at the top of the list with the, with the Super Bowl odds should be looking at this player and certainly have been looking at this player. Again, we're a week from the draft. There are diamonds in the rough in, in the second and third round every single draft. So it's probably a situation where I can go four years, 10, 12 million and try to find a diamond in the rough in the second round, or I can go two years, eight to 10 million and bring in Melvin Gordon. A little bit more of a sure thing, a little bit of a risk with the age, but that's probably a close battle right now. Something to watch. He's a, he's a name. I know he's way down the list on a lot of free agent lists out there uh, to start the year and now maybe even with the availability, but that's a name to watch. That is clearly the best running back available. I thought he would find a good landing spot earlier on. So I'm a little bit surprised that we're at this point, but now that we're here, he's battling the draft situation just like the rest of these players. All right, let's talk some baseball with Cousin Dan. All right, Dan, your homework assignment for this week was future Major League Baseball extensions. I spent last week going through the ones that were actually signed and kind of breaking those down in detail and actually kind of remembering a few of them because some of them were early November and I had to get those back into my lifeline. So what's going to be next here? You know, your Cleveland team has done a lot of damage. We've seen Colorado do a ton of damage, even though I think we expected nothing out of that organization. There's some interesting names, I think, that you put together here, but what's the realistic possibility that baseball is going to continue to spend right now? Or do you think that we're going to have a bit of a lull for a few months just after, after going through this process? Yeah, I don't expect, um, I don't expect to see too much action in the next couple months outside of maybe early deals for um, players that haven't debuted yet um, mm-hmm. in order to get them here um, ahead of, ahead of the, um, so did you deadline. go that deep? Did you go into like the top 100 prospect pool and try to understand who might be kind of sneaking in like that? Um, there really aren't too many guys on this list, to be honest with you, um, that fall into that category. I didn't really get that deep because, um, like for instance, do you see the Yankees shortstop situation fall into that trap? Whereas they, they don't want to get into an Aaron judge scenario ever again. And they're just going to pay these guys the second they get to town. Right. Right. For sure. That, that could happen. That's probably a good, good example of, uh, where it could happen here. There's a need there. Mm-hmm. Um, and they, they obviously like him. Yeah. There's got a, there's a couple honestly in the pipeline. All right, let's go through this list. We're going to skip Arizona cause it's just boring as hell. Um, the, the, the reigning champs, they did pay a few guys. They, they got ridiculous deals on Acuna and Albies, as you know, you know, the Azunia contract had its ups and downs. It's still going to be of good value, I think, in the long run. And then they went big on Olsen. First of all, I have, we haven't talked about this much. The Freeman and Olsen situation has kind of just been, let's wipe our hands clean of this. Everybody's going to be happy. Let's not even look back at it. Is that fair? I mean, is this, a, is this an okay one-to-one swap, having seen now Matt Olsen for two weeks? And knowing how much money and how, how many years they've invested in him kind of haphazardly. Yeah. I mean, replacement wise, I don't think it's like too far off. It, it's more of just like 
Freddie Freeman seemed like he wanted to be there. The fan base probably wanted him there. Nothing against Matt Olson, but um, it seems more like that. But in terms of a swap, I I don't, I don't think it was a terrible move. It it just seems there was a lot of um, the circumstances around it were a little bit unusual how they sort of traded for him before it seemed like Freeman was totally out of it. You know, I guess my, my shock with it now, having looked back, right. Cause it was, it was a good financial off season, you know, put the lockout aside, put the CBA aside, just kind of look at the extension pool and the free agent pool. There were big contracts all over the place. You know, Corey Seager went huge. He was easily the biggest contract of this off season. And you can laugh at that as much as you want. But, um, you know, Chris Bryant, Marcus Semyon, Wander Franco, and then Matt Olson. That that's kind of like your top five. Does Matt Olson belong in that group? I I don't have an issue with it. Quite honestly, okay. I think I think he's put up enough um, enough production in a really difficult hitters ballpark that I I don't have an issue with him getting a big contract now. Yeah. So this is just some Oakland bias from me, then. You know, people get suppressed there and kind of lost in the winds. And you're right. It's a terrible hitter's park. So the fact that he was able to produce there, him and Chapman alone, um, you know, they, they're in, they're in greener pastures now is the, probably the best way to look at it. So Atlanta, they're probably not done. I, I have to imagine that one of Dansby Sponson or Austin Riley is going to get done here before free agency. Correct. Uh, honestly, I don't know, Mike, they do have so much money locked into those core guys, those Mm -hmm. core four there that I, I, I'm not going to say it's likely, but I I wouldn't rule it out. The reason I'm, I'm a little against it myself is I don't think they have the pitching right now. And can you continue to pay as we've talked about a lot? Can you continue to pay the position players over and over? And this would be like six or seven position players with hefty contracts when you think you're maybe behind the eight ball a little bit with the, with the rotation. So it's possible Swanson gets the free agency. Every shortstop appears to be getting a free agency. Isn't that the thing now? Outside of Lindor going to the Mets, everyone else now appears to be getting all the way to the finish line. Are you just assuming Swanson's the next in line to do that? Um, actually, I don't know. I, I, I think he's kind of a prime candidate where like the potential tools are, are better than what we've seen yet. You know, mm-hmm. um, I think he's going to have a hard time getting a big deal on the open market. So I think there is a chance that he settles and comes back um, okay. to Atlanta and, the, and that they extend him before he hits free agency. So. Okay. Um, what's the, they've done a lot of work, obviously a lot of trades last uh, deadline to kind of get themselves to that finish line. What's the prospect pool look like in Atlanta? This is a team that is going to be competing like hell in the national league East and really in the national league as a whole, you know, they just, they just finished a series with the Dodgers and didn't look great in it. Is this a situation where you think they have enough steam to keep this alive for a couple of years? Or do you think last year might've been a one and done scenario for them? Well, last year, I mean, they really, the acquisitions they made, they paid very little in, in, in terms of anything, it was a lot of like, you know, freebie pickups, if you will. So they didn't really deal much in terms of, um, you know, prospect capital there. So I think they're definitely sustainable. They don't have a ton of high end talent. Um, there are some pitchers coming up the line that, I mean, we've seen them this year with like Bryce Settler and, uh, mm-hmm. you know, Kyle Wright is a guy that it looks like might be sort of breaking out here. So, but in terms of um, offensive guys, I think we have seen the core that they're going to, they're, they're going to build around here. Um, I feel the same term. way. And it, and it points me to them just continuing to pay. 
Like, I think Austin Riley's about to get paid. He He's heavily on my list right now. He's not having the year so far that he, he did last year. Last year was a massive breakout year. I saw him way too much as a Mets fan. And uh, I think he's the real deal. I, I really do. And they do not have his replacement in the system as far as I can tell. So either you ride out the arbitration and let it, and let it run its course, or he's the next guy in line to get paid, in my opinion. So I, I agree with you on Swanson. He's probably a cheaper option. He's never been that big bang or, or bust kind of shortstop uh, prospect, even though he was number one overall pick uh, you know, forever ago. But I'd put Riley at the top of this list. And really, as we go down this list, Dan, he's, he's near the top, probably top five for me in terms of actual extension candidates. Let's go to Baltimore, which shouldn't be fascinating, but they do have a player that I love, and you know I love him. Outfielder Cedric Mullins, he's, he's got some health issues. He's got some really, on a really bad team issues. Um, does he stick around? You know, because that's part of it. Yes, you got to get the money when you can get the money, but does this guy want to have Baltimore money under his belt? Or do you think that he is willing to wait another year and a half or two and then get himself into a better situation organizationally? It's, it's a great question. I, I'm not sure on this one. Um, I put him on this list mostly because I just feel like at some point they have to commit to a good young player and build around him instead of always flipping, um, you know, flipping it over. So I, I don't know what the realistic chances of this happening are, but, um, he's a super talented player. He's a fan favorite there. I, I don't, I don't see why he, he couldn't be extended, but, um, yeah, at some point they just have to like turn the page and kind of go for it and build around one of their guys. And this, this is the one to do it with. And honestly, he's 27 or, or yeah, he just turned 27 actually headed towards 28. He's got three full years of arbitration left. This is the prime candidate for a small market team to do the extension, right? You put it, you put a six year extension on this guy, you buy out three years of free agency. You know, he's going to be 30 halfway through that thing. That's, that's the teeter number. I, I, I think he belongs with, with a, a decent contract right now. He's, he's had two back-to-back seasons here where he's been very good on a very bad team. And you know, you don't get yourself into a situation where it's not a tradable contract. That's, that's the Cleveland motto, right? That, that's, that's how they do their business. It's not just about... Part of the selling point with these guys getting their smaller contracts in, in a Cleveland or a Kansas City is you don't want to put yourself in a situation where we can't trade you, right? We know. We know we can't have you for all six years if it's a six-year contract, but let's get you for three and we'll get you on a big market in three years and make everybody happy. So I just think that's probably the right fit for Cedric Mullins. Let's, uh, let's buy out his arbitration. Let's make him happy for a couple of years and then we'll trade him to the Dodgers and he'll be happy for the next you know, 10 years thereafter. You know how this stuff works. So uh, I, I, I'm glad you put him on this list. He's worthy of it. It's just the team and the situation. It's a weird fit. Here's a team that they could go all in and extend everybody, or they could be really fascinating this summer. I mean, really fascinating. Let's talk about Boston a little bit, Dan. Talk to me about Bogarts, about Devers, not so much Evaldi, because I think he's kind of a hit or miss guy, even though he's the ace. Um, But those two guys specifically, Xander Bogarts and Rafael Devers, the entire left side of that infield, both super polarizing players. Both could be MVP candidates by the end of this season. I think there's a, there's a ceiling that, a potential there, but I don't know. It just seems like there's some discontent, right? It seems like either the offers haven't been great or they haven't been made, or they kind of feel like I feel about Boston, which is I don't I don't really get it. I don't really get what the team is doing, the organization is doing. They're not the Boston of old. They're kind of acting like a middling team. 
what's your take on Boston with these two players and, and just as a whole, I guess? Well, I think if I had to guess, the Red Sox see these players that they're maybe at their ceiling right now and they don't want to commit to a long-term deal at their highest value. I, I mean, that that's really the only way I can see it because they're both still good young players, but obviously they set themselves up by signing Trevor story to um, sure. move over to, you know, to move over to shortstop beyond this year. I really do think Bogarts is going to opt out um, either way. So in terms of these guys, I just don't, I don't think they are trying to run them out of town or like want to get rid of them in the same way they wanted to get rid of Mookie Betts as soon as Kyle Bloom got there. But um, I, I don't know. It's going to be interesting to see this unfold because it's, it's, it's be quickly becoming public um, negotiated in the public. That's right. And, um, That's right. Yeah. So I, I really do think Bogarts opts out. So I let's think- talk about that then specifically, because you're right. That's a big part of this is that is the contract option. He's got, you know, 80 million left in this thing, but he's going to bail. He wants more than 20 million a year now, having seen what Corey Seager and those guys just did. If Boston knows if, if it's as awkward as it sounds like it is, and it feels awkward, like an awkward situation, are they going to trade him? Are they just going to get something for him this summer before he opts out and basically walks away? It's a good point. It's a good point. I mean, it would probably have to come with an extension from the other team, sure. right? I mean, yeah. so, but yeah, it's a good point, honestly, because I, I do think he's going to, he's going to opt out. The, the writing's kind of on the wall. Um, if that relationship is souring at all, he's, he, he might want similar money just somewhere else. If he's ready to move on, if yeah. maybe Devers moves on, I, I think it's, um, I think, I think it's, the, it's a line that to go that way. So here's another question for you. Who the hell needs a shortstop now though? Uh, that's, that's the thing. But honestly, I, I really, he, Bogarts is considered one of the worst shortstops in the league. So I think, <laughs> I think there is a natural transition that he might just go to second either way. But I guess my point is like, I don't know if he's going to want to do that in Boston. Um, especially if things aren't going well there now, but I, of course that's all, that's all guessing on our part. That's fascinating. So they, they signed a shortstop who's playing second, who's going to become the shortstop and they might want their shortstop to play second. Right. And if you recall, though, story had, had, you know, communicated willingness to play second, but didn't, didn't necessarily want to do it long term, you know, right. Long term. Right. So that, that's why it seemed like this was sort of like a bridge come in and play second for us. We can either move Bogarts over to second. I mean, some people thought that that, that transition would happen this year, but um, Alex core came out early and said, no, that's not happening. Bogarts is our shortstop. So, but who, but who knows beyond next year, what, uh, what happens with that? So, so. Is, he, is he easily North of a $20 million player? I mean, is the opt out a smart move in his part? Um, I, I don't want to say easily, but I, I think, I mean, if he's going to go back into the market as a shortstop, I think he's looking at, at a, at def, a definite pay increase, right? I mean, based oh, yeah. on what Correa and these other guys got. Um, but Otherwise, if, you just make a other... trade demand, right? You don't opt out. Right, right. So, but even if not, even if he is a $20 million player, whether it's at shortstop or second base, again, if if things aren't going well there and, you know, Devers and him are kind of set up to depart at the same time, then, you know, he he could just want to play for $20 million elsewhere, you know? So let's talk Devers because he's on the top of this list for me. I think he should be paid. I think the fact that he hasn't been paid 
is a big tell with kind of this confusion I have with Boston. He's got one more year of arbitration left, so there's, it's not like there has to be a rush. But, you know, similar to the Aaron Judge situation with New York, these kind of franchises shouldn't be doing this. It, they shouldn't be taking these contracts to the finish line, these, these team control situations with their superstar players. You know what I mean? It shouldn't have to happen. And if it's the agent saying we're just absolutely not signing, what is the disconnect? What, what is it that is making the agent say we have to be able to look elsewhere? Because by, because by the way, this is the same situation that happened with Mookie Betts. It, was nothing, it had nothing to do with the offer. The offer was there. He did not want to play ball in Boston anymore. So I got a real bad taste in my mouth with this organization now, now two and a half, three years removed from major players not coming back or not staying or not extending in this town. Is Devers going to be the next one to do this? It, it could happen. It, it really could happen. I, I still am optimistic that they get something done. He's still really young. He's been super productive. He's made strides to improve at third base. Like, I, I don't know what, like, I, I guess, I mean, they did trade Mookie Betts and I would have said the same thing at, at the time. Um, but I, he's, he's the guy I feel like they do pony up and pay at some point, but um, maybe they're just going to kind of keep this rotation of letting these guys go as their salary increases and try and turn it over. But the, the puzzling thing is they really haven't dedicated the money saved on those deals to fix other parts of the roster, right? Right. They just continue to play more money ball. Exactly. That's what's exactly. driving me bonkers about this team. And, and it's not like they're a bad team. They're a top, I don't know, 10 or 12 World Series favorite right now. And they could be, they could be top eight with the right acquisitions. They're just not making those moves, nor are they keeping their core intact. So, so you have a feeling they, they might actually turn this thing over, as you mentioned. Um, is he an, is he an Arenado, Arenado type contract for you, Devers? Because he's that age. Uh, yeah. For sure. Yep. Yeah. It's 30, it's probably 30 million plus without even trying. And, uh, well, they have a, I mean, they have a ton of flexibility too. I mean, the JD Martinez comes off the books. What is it next year? I think. Yeah. Um, so it, there's really no reason they can't spend. I, I mean, I, I don't, I don't know if they're like going to wait for like a Juan Soto to become a, possibly become <laughs> available or, or dedicated towards pitching. I'm not, I'm really not sure what they're doing, but. Would Carlos Correa be a fit here? Um, potentially, but I mean that if, if story does want to play shortstop beyond this year, you kind of, um, put yourself right back into that same situation, you know, unless, unless Devers goes and Correa is going to play third or something, something wacky like that. But right. I, I just, yeah, there's a lot of UFAs by the way, a lot. So I, I think we're talking to ourselves right into a situation where Boston might turn this thing over in front of our eyes. I really do. So it, it may not be an extension candidate situation as we're, as we're kind of laying it out here. It may be, let's ride this out, thing out to the end. And if we can sneak another World Series out of it, fine. Otherwise, we're going we're gonna to purge this payroll and start over again. I really think that's where this team is headed. And that's why it feels so awkward. Uh, let's skip the Cubs because they're uh, kind of in that downward slide still. They're going to build back up quickly, you can tell, but not right now. The White Sox are a... Uh, they're legit favorite. They're they're battling some injuries and some weird situations right now, but they're going to round into form come July. You know how that works. Any of these superstars that uh, haven't been extended because they've been early with a lot of them, but there's a couple hanging out there. Anybody you think that uh, should get paid either during this season or immediately after? I I don't know. I, it feels like they're done, but I could see. I mean, Lucas Giolito's you know battling an injury early in the season here, but he was a guy that I kind of liked coming into the season yeah. um, to sort of separate himself as like a bona fide front end of the rotation starter. Um, 
you know, to be determined on if that's going to happen. But he was a guy that I, you know, sort of thought could be a, a prime candidate for an early extension. Um, otherwise, they do have like a, you know, a good portion of their young guys locked up um, going forward and some money coming off the books, you know, after Jose Abreu. Um, so, yeah, I mean, again, it's they're sort of like the Braves that they've already locked up some of their young talent. They could make another run at one of those guys, but um, mm-hmm. I'm not sure we'll see it right now. Yeah, it seems like they're in, in a bit of a pause mode, and, and rightfully so. It's time to go win ball games, and that for that organization, your neck of the woods in Cleveland. They've done some damage already. I think you're happy with the three contracts they signed this off season. Or we think we need to even talk about it. But the the Shane Bieber situation is starting to get fun. It's uh, Arb one. There's two more years of Arb left. He's the ace. He's recovering from an injury. He looks fine. Where's this headed, Dan? Is, is he just going to be Corey Kluber version 2.0? Or do you think this is a situation where he'll price himself out of this town? I, I would lean towards he is going to price himself out. Yeah. He's a Rosenhaus guy. Did here. you know that? Um, no, I actually didn't realize that. But <laughs> I can that, tell you from yeah, my football's sense. background that that generally doesn't need hometown discount. So uh, it's probably not great news. I, I'd probably have to agree with you. So, so then we have to turn to when does the trade happen? Is it before ARB2? Um, good question. I mean, yeah, I, they have, so they have some arms coming up yeah. that could be front end of the rotation type of guys like uh, Daniel Espino specifically, um, who's got like one of the craziest strikeout percentages in the minor leagues right now. Um, if they think if, you know, if they in the next few months here, see a guy like that really take a step forward um, and they're not in contention anymore. Um, I could totally see them wanting to um, move on, you know, get it, get as much as they can right now for, uh, for a guy like Bieber. Yeah. The deadline's probably a, maybe I would say almost certainly though, after, after this 2022 season. So next December ish. I think it's probably the right time. You don't want to do it when it's one year left. So uh, with two years left in term, that's when you get your maximum value. Cleveland knows what they're doing with this stuff. And I don't even need to ask you about their farm system because they are consistently pumping out ridiculous arms. Guys you still don't know their names of, right? Who are playing right now for the Cleveland Guardians, but they're phenomenal. You've got four starters who could be playing for anybody right now. So I, I assume they already have that situation figured out. And that's going to be a big name. That's going to be one of those trade candidates that everybody's thinking about talking about come July slash December. We'll see where that gets to. Uh, Colorado, they're done. I think they're done. They just did another one yesterday in Kyle Freeman or Freeland. The ace. That's like five extensions. I, I know it's surprising. I know we, we don't really understand it because we both are still kind of reeling from the Arenado move with this team. They like themselves. There's no question about it, or they're at least trying to put up a front that they appear to like themselves. They're not real contenders, though. No, no. I mean, <laughs> I, I don't know. I mean, I it, the pieces just don't really fit there. I mean, they do have an uphill battle with trying to find pitchers who actually work there, yeah. but uh, and you know, attracting free agents is difficult. Kyle Kyle Freeland is a hometown guy. There's you know probably motivation on both ends to to get that done, but it's, it's just a, it's a little bit puzzling, but I have no I, problem, I, honestly, with them signing the pitchers. They signed three of them. Um, Marquez was last year and then two this year. Why, why give Ryan McMahon a contract? Why did that have to happen? I mean, you, you, we just talked about four guys who could replace him in the last 10 minutes. They're, 
I, I just don't understand that part of it for Colorado. You're right. You should pay the pitchers if they want to stay. Pay them. Because that's, that's about as hard a job as you can get right now, paying in, uh, pitching in Colorado. But uh, the fact that they're going this all in, you know, and ev- almost every element of their roster is getting an upgrade financially, that I don't understand. It feels like they know something we don't, except for I promise they don't know. <laughs> it's not there. I mean, this eight and three start is, it's smoke. It's a smoke screen. So I, I don't get this one. I think we're going to be talking about this one in a couple months as just a complete combust. But I guess they're tradable entities. It's just why pay them at all right now? That's my question. There's no need to rush it. So let's push all the way down to Kansas City because I've talked about this guy a lot with you and so far so good with Bobby Witt Jr. Is it too late? <laughs> Is that crazy to say? Is it too late? Is he now going to wait? No, I don't. I don't think so. Okay. No. I um. I this is a this is a perfect example of a team that will could easily you know. Sorry, let me back up. Similar to Wander Frank. That's exactly I where think, I was going. Go for it. Yeah. Yeah. I. I. That, that's why. That was like kind of the comparison I made when I put him on here was that it, it's just a smaller market. They're going to be motivated to commit long term and get ahead of it. Um. Sure. You know, and he, as a young player, could want to just lock in the guaranteed money. So, yeah, pretty simple. I think by the end of the season, it's done and it's big. It's Wander Franco big. So, I, uh, I don't think he's he's a Tatis type player, right? I don't think it's going to be three hundred million, but easily two, I think, is probably correct. Let's talk about Otani though. You know, we're literally amidst the conversation of Debo Samuel pushing his way out of San Francisco because of that organization kind of misusing him, right? His versatility. I, I can't help but make that crossover comparison here because at some point in time, Shohei Atani is not going to be doing all of this. He's not. Whether it's his decision, his agent's decision, medical reasons, or just the angels saying, we got to focus you in one place. And, and that's going to impact him financially. So is it, is it Otani's camp, you think, that's saying, let's pause on this extension? Or are the angels just kind of confused with what the hell to do with it? Because I feel like there's been uh, zero discussion of it. None. Yeah, right. Um, probably a little bit of both, quite honestly. I, I know we've talked about this in the past that even we are like kind of lost in terms of how to start valuing him in yeah. a real life situation. Um, honestly, Mike, I, I don't know. that. I, this is one I'm glad I, I don't have to <laughs> try and figure out, you know? Yeah. I mean, one more year of ARB left. So the, the clock is ticking uh, on this one. I, I assume they're going to try to get something done after this season. I don't think you'd want to take this to free agency if you're, if you're the Angels. I mean, they finally got something kind of figured out. And you've got Syndergaard on this list as well. I agree. He's looked great coming back from that injury. Seems like that's a guy that could really start to push this team forward along with the position players that they've already had in tow. I, it seems like they're making the right steps. But at what point do you say, okay, we've got a foundation, let's start to really pay it. And obviously, Otani is going to be part of that foundation, but I think the unknown is so scary. It's just, it's terrifying. If he, what, what if he can't pitch? You know, does he do enough as a DH uh, to kind of carry the day? I think now the answer has to be yes. No? Yeah. I, well, first of all, his first contract is is going to work out to be such an insane value. Right. Um, yeah. So going forward, even if he, even if he isn't a pitcher long-term and he gets paid as if he is going to be a pitcher in some fashion. Um, and, and it turns out to be like a quote unquote overpay on whoever's part. Um, I think it'll be 
especially if it's the Angels, I think they're going to have no issue going over overboard on this contract. It, it, does that make sense? I mean, sure. long term, to answer your question, if he's only a DH, he's still worth a lot of money. I mean, or, or sorry, if he only plays outfield and DHs, he's still going to be worth a ton of money. I mean, he's a really great player, incredible hitter. It, th- there's going to be no issue there, right? I don't think so. I just, I just don't know how to vet. I can't put a number on it. He is, he's so impossible in that regard. But I get, I guess you're right, especially with the marketability. I mean, he's one of the biggest jersey sellers now, and we don't even know internationally what what's happening with this whole situation because it's hard to put a meter on that. You probably can't overpay him. You know, you're not going north of Trout, no question. You know, he's he's just not there. He doesn't have that kind of resume yet, but. I think it's going to be way up there. I think this could be like a top 10 contract. Don't you 250 plus? Is that wrong? Yeah, I, I agree with that. Yeah. It's, I I mean, let's, let's say he gets an eight year deal and you, you consider eight years as at at minimum an outfielder and throw in four years of pitching value on that. I mean, what, what does that contract look like? If, even if he only pitches two of those years that you, you know, if you yeah. slot him for yeah. four years and he only pitches two of those years and you, you're still paying him for the four, I think you're still okay with that. Like if he's only a, a high end pitcher for a, a few more years, I, I think that's right. All, all I'm saying is if it's an eight year deal, you can't value him as a hitter and a pitcher for the full eight years. I think that, you know, I think Nor his life you is a pitcher. You're not going to double his pay because of it is, is where you're going, right? I mean, you're just going to pay him a great number and get the, the maximum amount of versatility out of him as possible without trying to kill the guy, honestly. Um, right. Here's a question I just thought of in my head that I don't know if you have an answer to because it's brand new. I believe May 1st, which is like 10 days, the, the rosters, the, there's, a, there's, a, there's a hold on the rosters where you can have 13 pitchers, 13 position players. Did you know this for the new CBA? I know there's a whole bunch of different yeah. roster, goofy roster timelines. So that's up one next. of them. You can only be carrying 13 active pitchers at one time. So how is Otani characterized for this? I don't know that. I, uh, that's a great question. Like, is he a pitcher only on the days that he's a pitcher? So could they be streaming position play? You know what I mean? Like, could, could they be bringing up a 13th pitcher on the days that he's not pitching? Right. I just thought of that. I don't know. It's a great, it's a great point. I, I mean, I they do have, it. yeah, they do have Michael Lorenzen, who's essentially the same thing, like a former hitter and pitcher. So maybe they could just like flip flop the two on the roster, but that, <laughs> I, I have no idea. I love it. All right. Down the list a little bit farther here. Let's go. Well, Dodgers are interesting. Let's stay there. Right. Uh, another shortstop situation. Trey Turner. Is he the long-term answer? Yeah, second baseman. What the hell is Trey Turner now for this organization? Mm, it's a good question. I think that there's going to be a desire on both ends to kind of get something done. But uh, again, the Dodgers are far ahead of me in terms of any of this stuff. And yeah. if they if they think that they can, you know, if they want to let him walk and they can replace him with a cheaper contract, I have no doubt they'll be able to do that. So. It just feels like they did give up quite a bit for they him did. and Scherzer last year. So in terms of prospect capital, not that that means a ton to that organization, but um, yeah, I'm, I'm really not sure on Trey Turner. Just the market in general for shortstops kind of has me puzzled. Could Chris Taylor be their everyday shortstop? Mm, I don't, I don't think so. No. 
Yeah, I don't think so either, which, you know, oh, by the way, you probably at least wait to see what happens with Correa, right? Right. <laughs> and, I mean, they, they love roster flexibility. Gavin Lux has played shorts, right. a bit of shortstop. So, I mean, I, I don't know if they want him there full-time either. But, um, yeah, I, I guess the point of me thinking he could walk and go somewhere else is that there's just a bunch of shortstops, as we always talk about. Um, that'll be on the market, I'm with just you. like you said. I'm with you. If Correa they can do better, available. they'll do better. They're not gonna. They're not gonna wait around, or they're not gonna do anything rash and early here with Turner, knowing there could be better options out there. Is that what you're saying? Yeah, but if they feel confident yeah. in it, I mean, he's still really young and is high end player. I mean, that he he's really unique, and you know, the prof his his profile, what he brings to the table. I, I that's why he you, like you're not going to improve there a ton. I guess I'm just saying at a certain point, maybe they think they can replace him with uh, mm. you know 80 percent of Trey Turner type player. But I know um, you've got yeah, Walker Billy here as well, and he's deserved of of a major major payday. I'm going to tell you why they're going to wait at least until the offseason on, on Bueller, Dan. Because Kershaw and David Price come off the books. <laughs> uh, they've been paying David Price so much goddamn money that you know that they've been holding back at least a little bit, even though literally I just ran the tax numbers. They, they're at $303 million this year right now in terms of luxury tax on a $230 million threshold. So they're not holding back much at all. But I'm telling you right now, they're going to wait on Bueller because. <laughs> they want to get those pitchers off the books. Totally makes sense. Quite honestly, this whole list, I, you know, across the whole league, I had a really hard time coming up with pitchers that I felt comfortable um, yeah. that teams are going to want to commit to, you know, at this point in their career. I, I mean, we might see some of these like really young guys, but again, you know, pitchers that have team control are, you know, amongst the, the best value in sports. You know, it's like having a quarterback on a, on a rookie contract almost. Well, let's jump down to another pitcher who you, who you actually don't have on this list. Uh, I can tell you right now that Jacob deGrom is going to opt out after 2022. That's already been basically said out loud on Mets broadcast. So uh, I, I, I have heard that same thing, but was that not before he got injured? I mean, correct me, correct me on that. I'm just saying I, I, so that's what leaves me a little bit unclear on that is it is a ton of money. And if he was a healthy Jacob deGrom, I would have guessed that he would have opted out. But let's now, just assume he's back in the fold by June 1st. Looks great. No issues. He opts out. Okay. That's fair. Okay. Or he, or he at least says out loud, the plan is still to opt out and redo this deal. And, but I want to stick around as a Met forever. You know, you know, saying all the right things. What the hell do the Mets do there? Because you're right. This isn't just the first injury. This, in fact, this is a, a secondary injury based on the first injury. So it's even more terrifying from the Mets standpoint. This guy's 34 years old. What, what, what happens here? Because this is the name. This is maybe the name on the list here outside of Aaron Judge. Yeah, I don't know. The injury, the, especially this last one, sort of just you know, pushes you more towards thinking that he's, he's got more ahead of him. You know, So I, I really don't know what they do here. And that's what I, again, if he was a healthy DeGrom going into this year, I would have, I would have said, yeah, he probably does opt out. And I did hear, I think his agent or something just deliberately said that. Mm -hmm. And, um, as you had said, it's mentioned on the broadcast. So I don't know on this one. I, I, I feel like he could just say, I'm not going to opt out, but I guess that would depend on his health. So do the Mets jump the gun? Mm. <laughs> I don't know. I think, I mean, potentially I, I, I'm guessing those two sides have 
better knowledge of his arm, you know, sure. what's going on health wise to, to know if they're going to enter that territory, but it's, it's an interesting question. It's scary for sure. Um, yes. Yeah, so it's the uncertainty with pitchers. I mean, if you want to pay him $40 million for one or two years, then that's a different story. But if he's looking for, a, you know, a mid mid length extension, then that that's, that's terrifying. If you're going to be in the 200, $200 million range. Well, that's the other problem, right? Specifically with the Mets. DeGrom's 34. Max Scherzer's 37. And they just get, went 43.5 million on Max Scherzer. So that has to be the new barometer for a, Met, for a Mets pitcher. I, I would have to, expo- you know, and, but Scherzer's been healthier. You can say at times he's been better. They're, they're basically equals out there uh, for all intents if you go step by step, but he's younger. And I, I think there's other teams that would go north of $43 million for Jacob DeGrom, regardless of the, of the medical status. So it's a really finicky situation, but the Mets could be finding themselves with this guy hitting the open market December 1st. That's terrifying. That's a terrifying proposition because the Mets are $290 million into their uh, luxury tax right now. That's an all-in organization right there with or without Jacob deGrom at the helm. So uh, certainly something to, to target and watch, not just from a medical standpoint, but also financially speaking over the next couple of months. I think Judge is on pause. He said it aloud. I believe him. I think he's going to free agency, which is crazy, but it's going to happen. Um, down the list a little bit more. Let's talk Blue Jays, bud, because we love this team. Um, Vlad feels like he's going to wait. That's the big name. Chapman got a two for 25 extension already. He's, he's pretty much locked in through the rest of arbitration. And, uh, some of the other guys, Bichette and Biggio, I think there's going to be a a bit of a grace period before those even considered, but Vlad Jr. is the guy and, and he's starting the season right back where he left it off as a perennial MVP candidate here. He's got three more years of arbitration left. So there's absolutely no rush. He's not a Boris guy yet, and I put that in parentheses, yet. So there's a chance that he'll take some sort of hometown discount. We've seen plenty of other agencies do this. Where are your thoughts with this, Dan? Um, I think there is, I mean, I think they're both sides could want to get it done. And I mean, he's going to get real expensive real quick, even though there is a bunch of arbitration there's left on this. So, um, I well, think even the arbitration is going to be expensive. You know what I mean? Like those are, those well, are going to pile up. He might be a $60 million arbitration player. Let's be perfectly honest. Exactly. That, that's what I mean. So like in terms of trying to like save some, you know, has some, have some cost control there because mm-hmm. of his arbitration years. I don't really think that's going to be uh, relevant here because it's going to get so expensive so quick. I think, I think he's like the straw, the, the straw that stirs that drink in Toronto. I think they're going to be, motivated to get it done you know despite the price he's still super young he would hit free agency super young get a massive contract maybe he does wait maybe he wants to wait but um if he wants to be there on a good young team with these other superstars um i don't see why he wouldn't want to get locked into like a i mean what are we what are we talking over 300 do you you want to know the number and by the way this is not my number this is mathematically speaking i I just ran the calculation while we while you were talking there 13 years, $440 million. Wow. Wow. Mm-hmm. I believe it too. I he's 23. It. So 13 know, years gets it, him to 36. I know. And he's shown a commitment. I mean, he's lost a bunch of weight. He's gotten yeah. better defensively. He's shown a real commitment, you know, to, to improving uh, throughout his career to this point. So I, I really have no concerns. He's, he's kind of the perfect free agent, you know, 
other than the fact he's a first baseman, but you know, that that's not really a concern. So I hope this one gets done. I think he's deserving. I think he's in the right organization. I think the baseball's better when Toronto is kind of good because there's kind of that Canada element is just unique to the whole sport and kind of the to a bunch of sports. So I I like the situation there. Obviously they've done a great job prospect wise and, and building this thing and actually plugging in some great free agents as well. So um, if they're in October, baseball is going to be better for it. So I'd, I'd like to see them lock him in. And I think that, that you're right. Every month it's going to get more and more expensive. Let's be perfectly honest. Those are the kind of numbers yeah. he puts up. And that one's going to ruin comps. I mean, that if, oh, God. If, if players after him come in and use that as a comp, I, that's going to, that's going to be difficult <laughs> well, until Soto gets done. And then all hell is going to break. Literally it's going to break the system, but we'll get there. Right. Good stuff, man. I appreciate your time on this. Awesome. Thanks, Mike. My thanks to Dan. Good to have him on board. Always fun to talk baseball when uh, the season gets started here and uh, as we sort of forecast how things may be looking for a couple of these teams and a couple of these players down the road in terms of contracts. My thanks to The Athletic. Visit theathletic.com slash spot track. Get yourself 40% off that first year as always. For Scott Allen, my name is Mike Gennetti. Thanks for listening to this edition of the Spot Track Podcast. 